At Tyrant, we organize webinars that we are pleased to share on our podcast channel and on our website www.arent.com. The following webinar is the first in our Arent New York webinar series and is entitled The ESG State of Play in the EU and the US and was recorded on the 9th of September. The ESG panel was led by Isabel Leb, ESG expert and partner at Arent, and is composed of Nadia Bonnet, Consul at Arendt and Medona, Laura Kraft, SVP, Global Strategy and Investment ESG at Eitman, Claudette Kraus, Head of Capital Markets and Chairperson of ESG Committee at CIFC Asset Management, Maria Natalia Milan, ESG Manager at Tikao Capital, and Romina Reversi, ESG Debt Capital Markets at JP Morgan. So it's one o'clock, I'm told that we can start the webinar. Hello everybody and welcome to, is it okay? Sorry, I thought I heard something. So welcome to our current webinar, the first of our New York office uh, series. I am Nadia Bonnet, a counsel in the investment management practice at Arendt based in New York. Today's topic is quite interesting and timely. It is a really hot topic and we are delighted to present to you a panel of experts who will be discussing the new EU sustainability disclosure obligation. The discussion will be led and moderated by my colleague Isabel Leb, who is a partner in the investment management practice um, at Arendt Luxembourg and who is one of our ESG experts. In the panel with her today, we have the pleasure of welcoming four speakers well-versed in the topic. We have Laura Kraft from Heitman, a global real estate management firm based out of Chicago with over 42 billion of assets under management. Laura leads uh, Heitman's global ESG platform and establishes systematic approaches to incorporate ESG into investment decision-making and management of investments. Prior to Heitman, she spent 10 years at LaSalle Investment Management, where she began in the evaluation and asset management groups and transitioned to develop the firm's global sustainability platform. We have also Claudette Kraus from CIFC, a New York-based SEC registered investment advisor specializing in senior secured debt securities with over 26 billion of assets under management. Claudette is responsible for asset origination and capital markets. She is a member of the Executive Management Committee and Investment Committee, and she is also the chairman of the CIFC ESG Committee. Natalia Milan from Tikehau Capital, a global asset management company focusing on private debt, real estate, private equity, bond investments, and equity investments with over 25 billion of assets under management. Natalia joined Tikehau Capital as ESG manager in January this year to reinforce the group's ESG integration and impact approach. She has previous experience in strategy consulting with a focus on the development of ESG and impact strategies for European asset managers. In this context, she has participated to the launch of several impact and ESG-focused funds in the private equity and infrastructure asset classes. Finally, last but not least, we have Romina Reversi from JP Morgan. Romina structures ESG debt products for global issuers across sectors in JP Morgan's ESG debt capital markets business. Romina leads dialogue and engagement with the ESG investor community 
and is a member of the Green Bond Principles New Markets Task Force, where she had led initiatives such as translating the principles into over 20 languages worldwide. So with this, I am now handing over to this impressive panel to walk us through the ESG state of play in the EU and the US. Isabel, the floor is yours. Hello, everyone. Um, it's a pleasure to um, participate to, um, to that webinar. And uh, it's true that it's, um, it's a very interesting topic and it's very important because a lot of go is going on right now and there will be impact in the US on um, US-based asset managers mainly. And all that has to be um, taken into account and has to be um, worked on already because as you will see, deadlines are, um, are very short. Um, we saw a lot of regulation come out this past month, um, despite the COVID-19 crisis, our um, legislator continued to, um, to work and worked quite a lot. Um, it started in December last year, where we saw um, the disclosure regulation come out. And then in April this year, we saw the um, draft regulation on the implementation of disclosure again. It's just a draft, but still, um, it is very relevant and um, it has to be looked at clearly. And then in June, we saw uh, the taxonomy regulation come out. Now, as you can see on your screen, um, there are three main objectives at the basis of those regulations, which are to increase transparency first, transparency for the market, transparency for investors, also to um, stimulate the financing of sustainable investment, and then finally to make sure that um, financial market participants do assess and manage ESG-linked risks. Um, now, how and to which extent does it um, impact uh, US-based entities? Well, you will see, um, and that is the next slide, um, those regulations, they were drafted with, I would say, haste, with ambition, and with humility. And three words, just to explain in the scope and to explain also what you will find in the regulation. Haste, well, you will see that those regulations, unfortunately for some of them, were poorly drafted. Hence, the question marks you see on the slide. Ambition, ambition regarding the scope, ambition regarding timing. And then humility, um, many committees of experts have been involved in the drafting and will continue to be involved. And um, those regulations themselves are very much subject to change and to evolution, also based on the input from those committees of experts. So now in more detail in the scope, well, um, as you can see, of course, um, rules will apply to EU-based entities. And in fact, as you can see, there are two levels of rules. First of all, you have the entity rules. In fact, those rules apply at entity level to the entity themselves. Entities are, in fact, financial market participants. And um, that will relate to um, elements pertaining to their own internal organization. They will also have to publish on their website information regarding products they market and maybe to a certain extent products they manage. Those entity rules, again, will apply to EU-based entities, 
They might, with a question mark, apply to non-EU investment managers when they manage EU funds. That is not for sure. In fact, um, the regulation seems to say so, but it seems so ambitious, and it does not seem in line with the um, EU legislator's intention. So personally, I don't think it will go as far as that. But that remains to be seen. And then you have also rules that will apply to non-EU investment managers, and that includes, of course, US-based managers, when the market funds in the EU. Um, that will probably apply only to the part of um, the website and the idea that they have to publish on the website information regarding products they market. That information should be found on the website. But again, you see a question mark. It's not crystal clear. Regulation seems to say so. Uh, now we see also that those rules are subject to interpretation, and we we'll see whether you know, we get more information as the time passes by. Um, my personal opinion on this is that those rules will be applicable to the marketing of funds. It very much looks like it. And then you have the product rules. Those rules will, of course, apply to EU-based structures. In fact, those rules apply to information that has to be disclosed in pre-contractual documentation and in annual reports. Those rules will also apply to non-EU funds, for example, Ukrainian funds, when they are managed by EU-based asset managers. They will also apply to non-EU structures. Again, I'm come back with my Cayman funds when those structures are marketed in the EU. So you see US-based um, financial market participants will be impacted, and they will be impacted either directly by the regulations themselves or indirectly, because it's very clear that when a manager works for a fund with an, a, an AIFM or with a management company, those will need, in fact, information from that US-based asset manager. And that US-based asset manager will very likely be required to provide that information, but then on the basis of agreements and not the regulations themselves directly. So those regulations, what do they, in fact, impose in terms of requirements? That is the third slide. Um, and here you see um, a, a mind mapping exercise. The idea was that um, you have in one look an idea as rapid and comprehensive as possible of what you have to expect and how in fact you will be impacted as fund managers or asset manager. And there you see in fact colors very clearly have a meaning. So on the right side, you see the, the gray boxes. And those gray boxes relate to disclosures on what I would call the outward effect on ESG factors. The outward effect of a portfolio of investments on um, factors, in fact, relating to the environment or to social or governance factors. The idea is that elements comprised in the portfolio of a fund may have an impact on those ESG factors, and that has to be disclosed. So the first box, the one um, above, 
relate to the principal adverse sustainability impact of a portfolio. That is information that has to be provided in relation to all types of funds, so not only sustainable funds. It's really all types of funds that will be impacted by that type of disclosure. And that disclosure will, in fact, um, be imposed both at entity and at product level. So entities will have to disclose information on their website, and they will also have to make sure that information is disclosed on a product-by-product -product basis in the pre-contractual documentation and in the annual reports. You also see that, in fact, there is a consider or explain approach, which means that it is possible for um, an entity to take the view that, in fact, they don't want to consider those principal um, adverse impacts. That is possible. In that case, however, they have to explain why they take that view, and it has to be a detailed and convincing explanation. And to the extent they consider, in fact, at some point of time, integrating those factors, well, then they have to announce um, when they intend to integrate those factors. Um, to be honest, the um, clients we have been advising so far, they prefer the first option, meaning that they consider the impact. They don't want or they don't dare maybe to go as far as to publicly announce that they won't consider those, that potential impact on ESG factors. Um, there will be, in fact, a minimum of 34 impacts to report on based on, in fact, the level two regulation, the draft level two regulation. So it's going to be a quite heavy exercise if that draft remains unchanged. Um, and those 24 potential impacts will have to be identified, will, be, will have to be measured, and they will also need to be reported on. So it's, again, a significant exercise to, um, to go through. Um, you see that there is an exception on the consider or explain approach for large entities and groups. Um, large entities and groups, um, which in fact occupy more than 500 staff members, won't have any choice regarding this as from June next year, they will have to consider. Second box um, refers to the level of alignment with environmental objectives. Um, that is what we call the taxonomy regulation. And disclosure needs to be provided on a product per, per product also regarding that level of alignment. That level may be zero. That is possible. In, in that case, it has to be disclosed again. Um, that will have to be disclosed in pre-contractual documentation and in annual reports. And you see that that will be applicable only at the end of next year for two of, of those objectives. In fact, there are six objectives in the taxonomy regulation. Two of those objectives will, be, uh, will have to be reported on at the end of next year. And those objectives have to do with climate change, in fact. And then disclosure will have to be announced for products which promote environmental or social characteristics. And in fact, that will mean, that will trigger automatically compliance or at least um, making sure that governance characteristics are met also. Um, 
That is a very broad category, that Article 8 category, as soon as there is some element of um, environmental or social characteristics taken into account in the investment policy of a fund, the um, Article 8 will, um, will be applicable. The idea is that um, this should be seen as a catch-all provision, at least in the EU legislator's view right now. Again, and um, I will explain that a bit um, in detail, a bit more in detail later on, this is based on a draft regulation. So that might change. That is, that is the draft regulation we saw come out, coming out in, um, in April this year. And then you have products with an objective of sustainable investment. Those are mainly impact funds. And there also there will be a need to um, publish and make available uh, enhanced uh, information, enhanced disclosures. And then we move to the pink boxes. Those, in fact, will um, relate to the inward effect of ESG factors on the portfolio of a fund. So it's the other way around. The idea that external ESG factors may create risks for the portfolio of a fund. That also will have to be assessed, measured, and disclosed, both at the entity level and there will be no opt-out at that level, and um, at a product level, where there will be a need to um, integrate those risks or explain. And that possibility to explain why they are not integrated will only apply when those risks, in fact, appear not to be relevant at all. Information will have to be disclosed on the website and in pre-contractual documentation. And then finally, um, remuneration policies will have to be adapted and disclosed. And the idea here is that, in fact, um, they will have to be aligned with the risk assessment above, um, and that will have to be disclosed. So that is, in fact, what is coming with a very, very short deadline, as you can see, because as a rule, um, the date of 10th of March next year will be the date on which um, implementation of all those rules will have to be um, made. So it's a very tight deadline. It's in a few months' time. Um, and it's quite a challenge because I mentioned the draft implementation measures, what we call in our jargon the draft level two measures. Um, we have no finalized version at the, the moment. We only have that draft, which, which is subject to public consultation in the EU. The public consultation is finished now, since um, September 1st, um, and we expect um, a finalized draft to be issued by the end of this year. It's going to be just a finalized draft, which will then be submitted to the EU Commission. So you see finalized draft subject to change, probably minor changes, but still changes, issued only in December and no visibility as to the final, final version will be issued. At the same time, those rules will have to be implemented for the 10th of March next year. So it's very much of a challenge. So should that be a source of stress? Um, I would not go as far as that, but my message is that this will have to be taken seriously. Um, there is a need to prepare. Um, I expect a, a certain level of tolerance and of understanding from the regulator, given those very, very tight deadlines, 
um, industry participants will most likely be judged on their best efforts um, to, to implement that um, set of regulation. But still, again, um, all this have, has to be taken into account and all this has to be looked at as from now. So my question for the panel members are, you know, um, first of all, how is all this perceived in the, in the U.S.? And how do U.S.-based issuers and asset managers react to all this? Um, I don't know, maybe Claudette, if you have any, um, any idea. Yeah. Thank you, Isabel. Um, uh, it's a it's a big topic, and I think you know the challenge here is that it feels a little bit like a one size fits all approach to uh, the regulatory backdrop. And you know certainly the people on this phone um, and all the participants, we all manage very diverse type of funds across different asset classes, and each of them have different ESG concerns and um, I'd say applicability. Um, one of the things that we struggle with, um, the, you know, we, manage, uh, we manage credit in a lot of private markets, and you know, getting ESG data has been very challenging as we've implemented ESG integration into our investment process. So getting hard and fast data around measurement uh, metrics for ESG is very much a challenge for, for us as a firm. And so, you know, we're working right now through all of these considerations. We, uh, we manage funds in Europe also. That's why this is relevant for us also. Um, but I think that's sort of an overreaching uh, thing that we're focused on is the, the details behind these regulations and how can we make them work for the type of funds that we manage. Thank you. I can, I can imagine that effectively. And uh, I take the opportunity here also to say to um, all um, participants feel that, you know, um, you, you should certainly not hesitate to ask any question. You may have questions will be more than welcome and we'll be happy to answer them at the, at the end of the panel. We'll take some time to make sure that we, we can answer. So do not hesitate to, um, to ask. Um, Laura, maybe you can, you, you, you want to um, add something to that? Sure, happy to. And I agree with everything that was just said that these regulations feel rather rushed um, to be put into place, uh, not having a finalized version, yet needing to um, comply with it at the beginning of March um, just feels very, very aggressive. Also agree with the one size fits all. Um, Heitman, we're a real estate investment manager. We do feel like the real estate investment community has been focused on ESG issues for um, the past decade and we've figured out what is material for our sector. And that is slightly different from the other investable sectors. Uh, so again, this one size fits all approach, it could confuse investors looking at this disclosure, thinking that these are the material items to our investment products. Um, so we do have some concerns around that as well. Please, I understand that you know you don't have such a strict framework on the U.S. side. It's more left to each industry participant to decide how far um, they want to go in in that um, area. Um, maybe Romina, you you want to add something? Yes, definitely. So our ESG Debt Capital Markets team at J.P. Morgan advises all issuers globally on ESG fixed income products. 
and particularly in regards to the disclosure requirements for U.S. issuers, we do see they're struggling with how exactly should they integrate the requirements at this point in time with uncertainty into their existing frameworks. And if they issue an ESG-labeled product today, how may their structuring be impacted once we have more certainty around the disclosure requirements? So we're constantly advising our issuer clients on exactly where that fine line should be drawn in order for them to feel confident coming to the market, um, but also be mindful of what investors want to see today and from their future products. There seems to be, you know, a, a very high level of cooperation um, and to some extent also education um, expected or to be developed with issuers. Um, and um, what is your experience? How, how do issuers react to, to that? Um, are, are they okay? Are, are they cooperating? Are they, are they willing somehow to, uh, to I would not say improve, uh, but adapt themselves to, to, to that framework? Definitely. In my experience for the U.S. issuers, they are willing to improve. They really are seeking to learn more from what the investors would like to see. And that's where we guide them on how exactly should they be spending their limited resources and time in terms of making commitments, whether it be for carbon intensity goals or their science-based target initiatives and how those form the basis of the disclosure that we're talking about today. Uh, so I certainly welcome the investor community wherever it's possible to give that guidance to the issuers, which they are seeking to please and understand that investor community. Claudette and Laura, um, is your experience similar in, in, in that relation? Given the type of assets under management um, in, in, in your company, how, how, how is it in practice? Um, yeah, I, is it easy or challenging? Um, I'd say, you know, Laura mentioned that um, in real estate, she's been working with ESG issues for about 10 years. Uh, in our market, which is the leveraged loan market primarily here in the U.S., the concept and the focus on ESG, I would say, has been relatively new. I'd say most managers, like ourselves, we've been incorporating ESG considerations more loosely into our investment selection for a long time. But a formalized approach around ESG, I'd say, is relatively recent, and it's been driven by our investor base who've been pushing for it. Um, and so what that's, what that's translating into is as our uh, analysts are now pushing for our issuers to disclose more around ESG, asking them if they have an ESG policy and asking some pointed questions around this. I'd say the vast majority, unless they're large public companies who've had to deal with these kind of issues before, but to the extent they are smaller private companies, a lot of this is relatively new to them. Um, many don't have an ESG policy. Um, many you know, have kind of heard of it, but not really sure what it is. 
And as we, um, we have formulated a questionnaire with our trade organization that all, all the market participants are now um, asking their, the, uh, the issuers to fill out, um, it's been a bit of a challenge getting them to respond. So I'd say we're in early phases in our market here in the U.S. around formalizing an ESG approach, although I'd say there's been a lot of informal focus by many managers on it up until now. I think you know the experience on the on the EU side is is very similar. In fact, all this is um, is new. That there is um, a, a willingness to cooperate. Certainly now um, there is a challenge as well, especially with um, strict and very very much you know very elaborated framework that we see coming right now. Um, Laura, on on your side, um, what do you see in that in that relation? Uh, sure. So there's a few points. In the U.S., we have the Department of Justice, who recently in the past few months said, um, if you have an ESG-focused fund or ESG consideration fund, you can't or you have to have significant conviction on why you're investing in an ESG fund if it's going into a defined contribution plan. So it's essentially in direct contrast to the EU regulations regarding ESG. Uh, so that's an important point to note, that if you're following these EU regulation um, guidelines regarding ESG disclosure, that it could, um, it, it could um, block you out from being included in defined contribution plans. Um, so I think that that needs to be um, smoothed over and clarified. So um, there's that going on in the U.S. market. There is also the SASB, so Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, which has been around for a number of years, and they have tried to define materiality, ESG materiality, based on product. It's a framework. It is not something that is mandatory to comply with. Um, I think that that's a good approach to go to. Again, it's, it's more of a framework. You figure out what's material based on the product you have, versus the EU regulation seems to be more prescriptive, um, following uh, very detailed frameworks. Um, so I think that that's um, something to be mindful of. Um, regarding ESG and how it has flown into the real estate market, it is a combination of understanding that ESG can play a factor in investment returns. It can help us improve returns, and it also can help us um, reduce risk. So I think that that is one of the initial um, factors that contributed to ESG taking off because we invest in physical assets. So if we're able to reduce energy, then we're able to um, save on in operating expenses, improve net operating income, improve evaluation. Um, and so I think that that's probably why ESG has been um, a, a, a very significant factor in the real estate world because there is that direct correlation between focusing on ESG factors and investment outcomes. You know, in a sense, very good news. Um, ESG um, improves returns, and um, and that is a good message to investors as well. And you you touch upon. Um, a very important point, which is also consistency between regulatory approaches. And um, you mentioned a, a, a U.S. regulatory approach vis-à-vis -vis, uh, the EU views. We have uh, similar issues in the EU as well between national regulators. 
which do not necessarily um, have um, aligned views on ESG, and that is a challenge on our side as well. And that, in fact, brings me to um, Natalia. Natalia, from your French perspective, um, what do you see in the market? What do you see also um, with the um, issue, issues you are, you are investing in? What is your Thank experience? Thank you, Isabel. My perspective is quite different because we have been used to the EU regulation from uh, starting from 2017 and then um, with the French regulatory framework, which, which is quite ambitious in terms of ESG and impact. Um, so we have seen a clear improvement in terms of data quality in the past few years, and we believe that this uh, new regulation will contribute uh, to strengthen the, the industry in terms of ESG integration. So we actually welcome this new regulation. Of course, we identified some challenges uh, mainly linked to the short uh, deadline, but uh, we hope that this uh, regulation will, will help the industry to move from an ESG risk management approach to an impact management approach, which is uh, quite relevant for uh, investors and also for our issuers. So you were also asking about uh, the issuer perspective. Uh, we see that, of course, this is a challenge and it depends, of course, in the asset class. So for liquid strategies, we already see uh, quality, high quality reports where we no longer see a list of ESG criteria, but we see uh, materiality assessment and we identify which are the, the areas where a given issuer is focusing and uh, relevant information that helps investors have uh, an informed investing decision. But we also see some challenges from the private, um, from our private uh, investments, where the companies, of course, are not ready to to, to report in, term, in terms of, of this uh, new new framework, but where our role as investors is to help them identify and provide them tools for them to be able to provide uh, high quality reporting on ESD data, which is key for for us. So issuers react. Again, you know, are they cooperative? Is it easy for you or um, is it sometimes difficult? Well, it really depends on the asset class and in the proximity we have with the management. So for example, for private equity investments, we see that there is a, um, uh, an interest from, from the companies to, to contribute to the ESG reporting as they, uh, of course, we provide them some support to define uh, some um, sustainability roadmaps. We decided to do that with all of our private equity investments so they understand which is the goal behind ESG reporting and they see um, a benefit from it. But then for, for other, other asset classes, it's a bit more difficult for us to, to engage with the companies to obtain uh, high quality information. Question um, for, for 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 the panelists here is um, or relates to um, the portfolio in itself. You know, an ESG portfolio, um, three letters, three types of components um, in the EU. And Natalia, you will certainly comment on that as well. We see or we seem to see a very strong emphasis on the um, letter E. 
um, in particular in relation to um, action on climate change, both at a legislative and at investors um, levels. Um, I was curious to see um, how it is in the US. Um, is there any difference? Um, is there any letter that you see appear more in the portfolio of, uh, of his funds? And does that differ um, depending on the assets that are held in the in the portfolio? Maybe maybe Claude, that you can you can react on the, on that. Sure, sure. So you know, when uh, I agree 100% what you're saying that environmental issues seem to be um, at the forefront in Europe, in in the U.S. for our strategies, and I can only speak to what we're doing, is we're definitely seeing governance and social issues being a larger focus. And I think one of the reasons for that is back to my earlier point, um, the lack of real data that we get from our private clients or private uh, issuers. A lot of the environmental benchmarks um, for ESG are very quantitative oriented. So, you know, impact on climate, you know, carbon emissions, and there's a lot of data around that and quantitative factors, uh, which we just don't get our hands on. You know, we are ultimately looking at, you know, the, the, the governance issues of the companies that we're investing in and making sure that there's really good corporate management, board of directors, separation of powers, um, so that is very key to us as an investor in private credit. Um, sort of who are we lending to? And it's really the management team. And so there's a lot of work done around the governance issues. Um, and then I think the social issues, which is all about you know, how the labor force is treated um, and, and, and items like that, which can also take a little bit more of a qualitative form, are also something that we focus on. So it is a little upside down from how we look at it versus how Europe looks at it. Um, I think over time, I think they might converge, but for now, we are we are very focused on on the the, uh, the S and the G. Different from from what we see in the in the EU. Not to say that we don't look at the S and the G, but um, there there is a, a in I would say a reduced focus right now on on those elements. And um, Laura, is is this is this the same on your side? So from our perspective, we're a real estate investor. We invest in direct real estate, so private real estate. We invest in private debt, and we invest in listed real estate securities. Um, so ESG plays a different role in those different product types. So it's, it's less about, I think, being in the, the U.S. versus the EU and more about from when we're investing in a direct um, real estate investment, we have control. Um, so now we're focused more on the environmental factors and the social component. When we're lending on that side, we're focused more on the governance component. Um, and when we're investing in listed securities REITs, again, we're most focused about the governance, um, then the environmental, and then the social. So for us, it's dependent on the product and our level of control whether we're an active owner or a passive owner. Okay, um, Natalia, you are based in Paris, you know, the home of the, I would say, Paris Climate Agreements. Um, I guess you see some influence of those agreements, but I guess you see some evolution potentially as well. So uh, can, can you maybe tell us more about all this? 
Yes, of course. Well, we actually consider ESG factors in our overall strategies at the moment of the investment, and we also monitor these factors during the holding period of our investments. But then we have uh, created some thematic products where we have uh, a clear focus on climate change. Why? Because we see that we have this opportunity to contribute to, to tackle climate change and to answer to the climate emergency. Uh, of course, the, there is um, this uh, regulatory context uh, around the Paris Agreement, but also the French laws that were adopted on, on sustainable finance. So yes, this is a, a clear uh, a clear bias in our in our strategy. But then we also see um, um, an appetite from investors on those topics in France. So we are currently uh, developing um, climate-related products across our strategies, starting with private equity and now developing a private debt uh, fund, an impact private debt fund, uh, which considers climate at the core of its strategy, but also uh, includes other uh, topics such as uh, innovation or social inclusion. Um, and you, Romina, um, any different experience in, in that area? Yes, definitely. So from the issuer perspective, we are seeing an increase in focus on sustainability and social bonds this year. There are a few different topics that are trending. Of course, expenditures related to COVID-19 being worked into sustainability and social bond issuances as a use of proceeds. But we're also seeing quite a lot of U.S. corporates come to market with sustainability bonds instead of the green only. Now, I think that is largely a result of the sector that they're in. So certain sectors need to really bring in those less green aspects because they are relevant and material to their business. For example, when you think about sustainable sourcing, of third-party certified products for a food retailer, which one could argue is not particularly only green or only social. And so I definitely think that that trend is going to continue. And we've seen positive response from the investor community, in our opinion, welcoming these social use of proceeds within ESG-labeled fixed-income products. Um, and you know you mentioned evolution, and um, that, that that is the next question to to you. Um, and because of time, we, we we can't spend too much time on this. But still, I'm curious to um, to have your views. Um, I mentioned that you know we we started to see regulation in December. Now, in the meantime, we also saw COVID-19 crisis, which is still unfolding. Um, uh, Romina, you may need okay. Okay, thank you. Um, and um, do you see any any impact of this crisis, both you know potentially on investors or on the issuer side? What what do you think is to expect due to that crisis? 
So from the issuer perspective, I expect we're going to see an increase in social and sustainability bonds. Even for those issuers where you may have thought, you know, it lends towards green only. So a few examples that we've seen in the market lately, we had a large tech issuer, which included use of proceeds around affordable housing, COVID-19 expenditures, and racial equality. So these are quite different expenditures for an ESG-labeled bond. However, they are increasingly important in today's world, and the focus of large companies towards these types of expenditures, I think is going to continue and be well received by the investor community. Uh, so I welcome any thoughts from the investors on you know, those types of expenditures uh, for ESG products as well. Um, Claudette Loha on the US side also, is there anything regarding the type of assets under management on your side? I don't know, maybe Claudette first and in terms of in terms of new products, um I, I I think so. You know, we certainly we get asked about it and we're primarily a CLO manager. So um and you know we've been asked about, you know, can we incorporate um and, and come up with a product, sort of an ESG CLO. And some of that has been done. Uh it's a little bit of greenwashing, I'd say, because it's just excluding a couple of industries um and then calling it an ESG CLO. Um, you know, maybe there's something that can be done in a more robust way, but uh, definitely more focused on the topic. I think, you know, the, the events of the last six months um, have drawn a lot of focus on the social element of ESG, and um, I, I definitely see more to come. You know, this sort of train has very much left the station. I think we're definitely going in the direction of more product around this, but certainly more awareness. Loha, anything on your side? Sure. So I would say that COVID has given rise to the importance of social issues. Um, they were important before, but they weren't urgent. Um, in a real estate perspective, if we own physical assets like an office building, then now it, we're much more focused on the health and safety of that office building. So those social issues of indoor air quality, um, cleanliness, sanitation, Again, all those social components. Um, so I think that COVID has given rise to, you know, not just the environmental aspects of the asset and how we can improve as an active owner, but those social issues. And, and so I, I, I think that we're going to see that going forward um, as a strong team. Natalia, on the, on the European side, um, anything to be mentioned as well? Uh, I totally agree with, with what Laura was saying before, that yes, we also see that there is a clear uh, focus on climate criteria in the post-COVID uh, crisis. Even if we also see that uh, social topics rise uh, to, the, to, the, to the scene, namely healthcare, but also uh, decent employment. So we will pay attention to, to these topics uh, a long time before, but of course, this is coming uh, to the scene after the COVID crisis. I will say that the COVID is not really changing our strategy, but it's accelerating uh, our strategy and the interest from investment uh, teams and portfolio companies. 
For example, if you take um, um, sustainability issues such, such as energy consumption, you will see that the companies are more keen to deploy this type of, of initiative as they will have a positive benefits in terms of cost reduction. Um, it's, it's interesting to see that there is a form of product innovation in the form of um, acceleration linked to the, to the crisis. And um, in the EU, it's also very clear that um, the um, economic recovery will be linked to um, ESG factors because environment in particular has been integrated into um, the EU recovery plan. Uh, so there also we see um, a clear acceleration. Um, we, in fact, are coming close to the time where we can look at questions, and I see that we have a few of them. Um, okay, there is one, or oh, a technical one, which in fact has to do with uh, how uh, the principal adverse impact disclosures apply to all type of funds. So it's the box, the first box I just mentioned, the first gray box I mentioned earlier, um, and how does that interplay with the box in the middle below, which is in fact enhanced disclosure for um, for certain um, products, or even though, sorry, not classified as Article 6, 8, or 9. Oh, okay. Um, so how does it apply to all types of funds? Well, in fact, the idea is that you do not necessarily have to um, sell or present yourself as an ESG product to have to measure the impact your portfolio has on the environment. So you don't sell any specific feature, you don't sell any specific objective, but still you have to um, measure your um, impact on um, social factors, on governance factors, or on environmental factors, and you have to disclose that impact keeping in mind, however, that you may decide not to apply that. Um, and if you don't apply that, you have to explain yourself in that, in that connection. Um, but it's mandatory and it goes quite far for the moment, again, because um, the 34 factors I referred to and that have to be looked um, at, they come from the draft level two regulation, meaning that they have been subject to comments and reactions from the industry. And I can tell you they have been heavily challenged by the industry. Um, the question will be, um, will the EU supervisors, um, which in fact are drafting the draft regulation, will they be sensitive to the industry's remarks? We don't know at this stage. Um, and once they have issued their draft regulation and submitted it to the EU to the EU Commission at the end of the year, uh, will the EU Commission maybe be sensitive to the industry's reactions and maybe, maybe somehow alleviate that um, load for um, the um, financial market participants that disclosure and that in fact um, collection of data exercise. Um, we hope so, um, but we don't know at this um, at, at this stage. And I see a number of other questions coming, so I'll have a look at them. Um, 
a question to the to the panelists. Um, in in what way do you see the regulatory changes push LPs such as pension funds to allocate their money towards ESG and investments? Is there anything? And maybe Natalia, because it refers to regulatory changes, um, you you should be the first one to uh, to answer that because you will be very much impacted by those regulatory change um, being based in the in the EU. Yes. So in France, the case is very particular because we have the Article 173 of the French law in, 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 of energy transition. So we already see that this law asks investors to disclose their contribution to a more sustainable economy and to the energy transition. And we see that there is kind of a peer pressure where investors are willing to demonstrate that they invest uh, in these topics and where they are uh, looking for asset managers who are able to, to, to provide this, this type of product. So yes, I think that this is uh, definitely going to, to increase uh, the appetite from investors to, to this type of product. Um. Claudette or Laura in the US, do you see such a push, you know, maybe due to the regulatory change in the EU that, you know, as I said, will anyway impact US based um, um, asset managers? Is there anything on your side that you are seeing? We've certainly seen a push by the pension funds requiring a lot more information on how we're thinking about ESG, what our ESG policies are, and how we're integrating it. Um, I think for our strategies, we're, we're, at, we're not hearing a large request for ESG-specific funds, but very much so want to understand our ESG policies and integration approach into our investment selectivity. Okay. Okay. Laura, anything on your side? Or Romina? Uh, sure. So, so from our perspective, um, investors in the U.S. have been more focused on ESG in the past few years. Um, before, a decade ago, it was mainly coming from um, Europe and Australia. So we have seen that U.S. investors and in, pension in plans um, starting to focus more on ESG than they have in the past. I think another area of, of interest is looking at the, the market, seeing all these ESG funds and the, the money inflow into these ESG-focused funds and how they're standing up against the S&P 500 and what the return profile looks like. Um, and, and so what we're seeing is that ESG funds can perform just as well as non-ESG funds or even better than it, and some of them have been outperforming. So again, I, that's another reason why investors are taking a closer look at ESG is for those, you know, can they get improved investment returns? That, that's a very good reason, uh, effectively, that won't be challenged. Um, maybe a comment that was shared by one of the participants regarding the, the first question on the principal adverse uh, impact and um, um, how does it impact all funds? Um, it clearly does impact all funds, um, and what has to be repeated here is that large entities and groups won't have that consider or explain option. They will fall in scope. 
um, meaning that effectively large players, those which employ more, de, more de, than um, 500 members of staff, will anyway um, have to apply that approach and will have to um, disclose information regarding that adverse impact. So potentially those 34 um, factors. Now, uh, another question we, um, we've received, and um, that is maybe more a question on, on for, the, for the US um, based uh, panelists, um, which has to do with the political will to push an ESG agenda. Like, you know, the one we've seen very strongly in the, in the EU. Is there anything similar in the US or are there any discussions around it right now? So from an issue perspective for fixed income labeled products, we really view it as a state-by-state -state basis okay. or for sectors and companies themselves rather than an overarching political view. So for example, many ESG fixed income products issued out of municipalities or schools in particular states that are very focused on infrastructure and the sustainability for their specific constituents is where we see the charge being led as opposed to that overarching view. Um, and in my opinion, we think this will continue you know, on a state-by-state -state basis as municipalities increase their issuance and funding towards these types of projects. Thank you. Um, Claudette, Loha, um, anything on, on, on your side? I see also in the question a reference to uh, some piece of regulation. Um, let me see so that I can adequately refer to it. There is a reference to the Labor Department's latest ruling around ESG and 401k plans, um, which is technical Effect, um, technical, um, I would say, language. I guess it refers to some pieces of regulation. I'm not sure. Well, I don't know whether you're aware of that or you heard about that or any other um, plan or discussions at the political level um, in relation to that um, ESG framework. I don't know, maybe Claudette, if, if there is anything on your side. I, 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 I have not heard anything, and I'm not familiar with what you're just referring to. Okay. Sorry. Laura, anything? I believe that's the Department of Justice, um, uh, the DOJ okay. ruling around um, ESG funds not being included in 401k plans, uh, the fine contribution. So, you know, just in general, when we're thinking about um, Europe versus the U.S., Europe tends to be ahead in policy. Um, U.S. tends to lag. Um, you know, I think that that can feel discouraging for U.S. Um, uh, stakeholders. Um, I, I would say one of the silver linings that we've seen in the real estate industry, there is a benchmark called GRES, so that's the Global Real Estate Sustainability Benchmark, yeah. and they compare um, management and policy as one category and then implementation and measurement. And when you compare Europe versus the US, Europe does score better in the policy section. Um, mm -hmm. However, 
the U.S. has scored better in the me measurement and implementation of ESG. So I, I think it's interesting the point that you know sometimes policy can drive changes, sometimes implementation and measurement and proving results can also drive. So I think that there's just different um, factors of, of why ESG are being baked into the processes. Okay, thank you. Well, we're coming very close to the, um, to the end of the webinar, but very quickly, a question to each one of you, uh, which is a more personal one. Um, in, the, in fact, ESG uh, range of potential investments, um, you personally, which one would you identify as a priority from your personal standpoint? And I'll start with Romina. Um, which type of investment has your personal preference? Yeah, so I'd say sustainability-linked bonds. This is the newest product. Uh, actually, the sustainability-linked bonds principles were just released in June 2020 by the green bond principles. And in my opinion, we're going to certainly see growth in this product. It is more flexible from a use of proceeds standpoint. Issuers don't actually need to use proceeds for green or social projects, but they can realize increased investor demand who are interested in that potential coupon step up. So I think it's quite interesting. We will see more in 2020 and into 2021. I'm personally a product that I am quite interested in and look forward to structuring more of. Claudette, Laura, we need to be brief because we're running short of time, but still, you know, I'm very interested in your preferences. I'll, I'll jump in quickly. So, so my personal bias, I don't know what this looks like in terms of what's available, what that would be um, bonds or financings around social projects in emerging economies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Laura, anything? Affordable housing for middle income earners. Okay, yeah, very important. Thank you. And Natalia? Sorry, I wasn't it. I would say sustainability impact response with a holistic approach considering both positive but also negative impacts. Okay, thank you. Well, um, I think we are at the end of the webinar. Um, uh, I, no, we, I don't see any additional questions, so we can close right here. And I, I take the opportunity to, to thank all of you um, for, the, for the exchanges and, um, and the information and the participation. And if you have any um, question, and here I'm talking to the participants, to, to, the, to the webinar, to the attendees, um, don't hesitate to, to ask any, any question. I know that it's a, it's a regulation which is very dense, which is not necessarily clear at this stage, but still, unfortunately, it needs to be looked at and um, and everyone should think about you know how this will be implemented and start thinking about it right now um, so thanks thank you all of you and um, well for all of you um, which are based in the um, in the us have a very good afternoon
and uh, for the European ones. Have a good evening. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this webinar. Should you need more information on our ESG expertise, I invite you to visit our website www.arent.com where you can find all our videos and press articles. You can also download our Arent ESG toolbox for asset managers. Thank you.